It's a destination. We are finally here. Let's go. What is good, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Destination Dynasty. I am your gracious host, Scott Connor. You can find me on X at Charles Chill FFB. As always, everything Destination Devi at DestinationDevi.com. Get access to the new Trinity Tracker. Following up on last week's episodes, play with it. Let me know what you find. Let Ray know what you find. Ray's done a lot of good content on YouTube talking about the Trinity. And thus far, it's been pretty successful. So we're really proud of that and having a way to really navigate the wide receiver landscape, especially during this time in Dynasty where wide receiver value is the king. Wide receiver value is what everybody chases. Everybody uses it trying to win that way, but also rebuilding teams are constantly chasing wide receivers. So it'll be an exciting time to have the Trinity Tracker the rest of the way, along with going into 2024, which should be a strong wide receiver class. Check out all the other tools, the articles, the videos, the podcasts, everything over at Destination Devi. You do get access if you sign up for the Patreon, patreon.com slash allgas for the Trades in 5 tier, or you sign up for the Destination 5 tier on destinationdevi.com. You get access to the bonus pod feed, where you're going to get at least three, if not four to five different podcasts a week, atop of what you get normally on the Destination Devi radio feed and the Wake Up with Ray G and Jay Rich feed, which you can subscribe to both of those as well. And today's episode is going to be a little bit quicker. I am recording this during the day on Sunday before all the games are over. We're in the midst of the late afternoon window. Of course, my Bengals play on Sunday night football. So I want to just come on here and talk a little bit about lessons learned by me through this half season of Dynasty, or this half season of the NFL. So we are now nine weeks, almost nine weeks through the season. We are over halfway home to the end of the fantasy football season, almost halfway home to the end of the NFL season, and just want to talk about some stuff that I've learned this year, and it's slightly changed some of my strategies, my outlooks, my approaches to different leagues. And definitely going to start shaping some of my strategies going into 2024. It's not going to quite be the revamped roster construction. That is probably going to come near the end of the season, around the holiday time, timing it towards the end of the fantasy season so that we really don't have a lot in the way in terms of what is going on currently in the league so that we can kind of get that prepped for the offseason. So this is just going to be a couple things that I have learned going to try to give five, but a couple of them kind of interact a little bit or overlap a little bit. So I'm just going to kind of roll with it. Let's call it the five things that I have learned thus far in the 2023 dynasty season. And we'll just start with this first thing. And it has been overestimating the tertiary or the secondary markets, whatever layer you want to call it in your dynasty league. So we're not talking about the primary, hey, everybody wants to trade for these core players. Everybody would trade for A.J. Brown. Everybody would trade for Brees Hall. Everybody would trade for a top five draft pick. Those really come down to just manager strategy, manager preference. Is there pieces on both sides that get a deal done? So I'm not talking about that market. That is typically the quote-unquote activity market in your league 
when people say, hey, there are a lot of trades that go down in your dynasty league. Typically, that is what people are talking about. They're not really referring to how active is the bottom of people's rosters, how active is the waiver wire, that kind of thing. But as we start to drill down on a lot of the macro strategies regarding roster construction and war and tearing up, tearing down, pivoting, all these kind of strategies that I talk about all the time on this show, really you have to start with understanding, does that market exist in your league? Does it even exist in your given league? Because if you don't get to that step and answer yes, kind of, sort of, maybe sometimes, then a lot of those additional strategies that I talk about don't really matter that much. Grinding the margins doesn't really matter that much. So you have to have a system to where you can read a league, and I'm going to give an actionable example here in just a second, to figure out does that market even exist? Because let's say it doesn't. Let's say you take over a team in a league And you go, you know what, my plan is to rebuild this team. And I've done that in a couple leagues this year where I entered dispersals or took over a team. And my goal was to strip it down to the studs, but not necessarily in the way that you would normally think. It doesn't mean trade everything away and gut the roster. It means I'm willing to grind. I'm willing to grind the margins. I'm willing to grind the backup QB and the backup running back market to the highest degree to give myself the most flexibility going forward. And then you get in a league and you go, I have this great plan. I'm going to play it week to week. Some of the things we talk about, like, I don't care about my score weekly. I don't care about my roster construction right now. I don't care about how competitive I am from a head-to-head standpoint. All I care about is the ability to accrue value across my roster from the beginning to the end of the season and into the offseason. Then you get in a league with that as your plan. And then you realize the market to do that just isn't there. And maybe it's just manager apathy. Maybe it's lack of manager conviction or lack of manager response time, whatever it might be. But that market doesn't exist. And what does that say? How do you read that? And what does that say going forward? If you have spot start QBs and spot start running backs and you can't even get anything for them, zero. Then you have to kind of examine how strong this strategy is. And I do think there's a loose correlation between these strategies. Some of the grind, trade players for thirds, grind the back of my roster, churn and burn, rebuild, liquidate, etc. They definitely lend themselves to more viable strategies if you are in a league that is at least 11 starters or more, or a best ball league, where you can constantly be turning players that are just usable on a week-to-week basis. But if you're not, if you're in a start nine, a start 10, in some shallow leagues, you can still do this, but the threshold is obviously higher, right? In a 10-team start nine, you can still play this way, but the threshold of what gets moved week to week is different. You know, it's not the Daryl Hendersons of the world. It's, it's a tier or two higher. You know, it's not the Josh Palmers of the world. It's a tier or two higher. So as long as you adjust, that market can still exist. But you have to also adjust your expectations as to what you're actually going to be able to move. So there are two different factors. One, you have to look at your settings and figure out, are the odds in my favor for this type of market to exist? 10 teams start nine, it's probably going to be less. 12 teams start 12, 32-man rosters, 
pretty balanced across the league, you're probably going to see a secondary market to an extent that's available, which makes this strategy of being able to grind out every spot, grind every running back, grind every backup quarterback, sell 90% of my roster for future liquidity, and then go into the offseason understanding that I am going to have the most picks, the most liquid roster, and the most flexibility. And part of that, and you'll see this in leagues where there are really deep settings, and some people will even do it out of the startup. Part of the reason they do it is, let's say I go into that league, I set the tone. I set the tone by building my team that way. What's going to happen is if you go to the extreme, and maybe for instance, one other team does the same. So picture a startup, 12 teams, start 11 in a startup, two teams just absolutely punt. And then you look over the next two years, those teams have 75% of the draft capital. What they have done is they have shifted the economy of the league in their favor. Now, there are going to be a couple teams because in theory, 10 teams built their team more towards a, I don't even want to say win now, just they didn't value the liquidity. And there's really no point in trying to value the liquidity knowing two other teams have the entire market dominated. So those teams are going to be built in a certain direction. Now, half of those teams may survive at least another year. So two-year window, those teams are good. They can survive. You're probably not going to be able to beat them. But where you capitalize on that strategy is the other teams. Of those 10, that's a 12-team league, two teams literally hoarded the entire futures market. Of those 10 teams, three or four of them, right after the first year, are going to be in trouble. They had injuries, they had player disappointments, they had a couple big investments that didn't work. Now they're stuck. They're the sixth best team in the league, and they have no flexibility. They have a bunch of players that are going to be very difficult to move, but to double down on that, the only real buyers, probably in the first year or even the second year, are going to be each other. So there's literally going to be 10 teams or so that are almost pushing in one direction, and as they start to fall back, As a couple of those horses start to fall behind the pack, they're going to go, hey, how do I get rescued? And they're going to say, okay, who can I move some of these pieces to just to hedge my bets? And then they realize there's not many buyers, not early on. There may be a couple buyers from the other teams that are similar, but what do they not have to trade? Probably what you want. And if they have any sort of liquidity in terms of younger players or insulated players, those better be players that are not helping them. Because if they're helping them, then there's really no incentive for a marginal upgrade for a specific player if they're young and have some flexibility to a player that's doing the exact same thing but doesn't have the same flexibility. So really, it's understanding the direction, not only of all the other teams in your league, but here is the first thing, and I mentioned understanding the market, being able to read if this market exists or not. Reading the markets in your league. If you take over a team, here's what you got to do. You got to go back and specifically focus on the teams that are still in the league. So if there's another opening or two openings or whatever, obviously they're new managers. You may not know what they're going to do. But look at the league activity. How active is it? Now, certainly, if you're going to come into the league and go, I'm going to play this day trading game, and I'm going to insert that strategy into my league, and I'm going to drum up the activity, then okay, you're going to probably influence some of the other managers to be a little more active, to play a little bit differently, because they didn't have anybody like you in the league last year. But let's assume you're coming into it and you're going, okay, I'm just trying to read what the market was like. Go back and look at the league. Even if you've been in the league for a couple years, go back and look at the league. How often 
are these type of transactions happening? How often are the week-to-week need-based trades happening? Even if they're a bigger deal for a rest-of-season piece. Somebody gives up a second for a guy like Jacoby Myers or something like that. That's not a rental piece. But that's also somebody that realizes midway through the season, hey, I'm willing to sell a guy that probably isn't worth the first, but is productive. And then there's somebody that goes, I'm willing to buy that for the rest of the season. So that is kind of like the second level market. And then the tertiary market or like the bottom market, the day trading market is who needs a spot start quarterback? Who needs a spot start running back? And that's number one. That is the biggest thing that I have overestimated because I've gone into my entire portfolio and said, I'm going to play this way. I'm going to grind every league. I'm going to grind for flexibility, liquidity, use the war tool, use roster construction to basically just hedge my bets everywhere and win on the margins with those things. And then I get into some leagues and it just doesn't work. And it sucks because I'll miss out on deals where I could have traded a spot start QB. No one took it. And even I'm the one sending out the offers. Hey, I look, this team doesn't have any picks. This team doesn't have any quarterbacks this week. What are they going to do? Send them an offer for a 26 third. Don't even respond. Or they reject it and you go, well, I don't know what they're doing, but they didn't pull off the deal. So you realize that that market doesn't exist, which makes me then lend towards, I have to probably be a little more aggressive in getting what I want at the right times because I can't rely on the grind strategy as much. So I think that's the biggest thing is being able to assess that market, understand how many leagues in my portfolio that works and how many it doesn't, and really focus on the construction and some of the builds on those teams. Going into the year, I probably have to build with a little more risk in certain directions because I don't know if there's going to be as many opportunities to move around during the season. So that's number one, understanding those types of markets and figure out how you're going to assess them as you go into the start of a new season. And you just know what your tolerance level is and how active you're going to be able to be to pull off some of these strategies. And just understanding that is going to be huge going forward. And I'll say that's one of the biggest mistakes is I kind of went into this year assuming that even just my influence of being in a league and being really active would rub off on everybody else. And there are just some leagues where it's just not the case. And that market, that level of grind isn't as big of an edge because I don't get as much done in those specific leagues. The second thing is something that I've been thinking about quite a bit recently, and we've done a lot of content talking about the reactionary nature of the Dynasty game and how reactionary things are from week to week. Player has a good game, can't buy him. Player has a horrible game, nobody wants him. I talked about it a couple weeks ago about the supply and the demand and really how that is the new value of a player. The value is pretty sticky from week to week, even from month to month. Takes a little bit more than what we think for a player's quote-unquote value to go up or down. Example, there are a lot of receivers, talked about it on the Trinity show last week, put out some Trinity content this week, article from this past Monday talking about Trinity receivers, how to move within the tiers, There's a lot of receivers within the tier where you'd say, hey, that guy you could justify paying a first round pick for. And that pick price seems to be pretty sticky for most of the season. There's a lot of receivers where you can just think of the names right now and go, yeah, that guy's probably worth a random first. Now, the biggest 
determinant of that is does somebody actually buy or sell for that first? There are some leagues where you couldn't buy a same receiver for a first. And then you go to another league and you say, I can't even sell that receiver for a first. And it goes both ways. And you wonder, well, how is that the case? How is it that there is kind of a range of a price that really isn't for sure able to be transacted depending on the league? And that just says that there's a lot of players that stay in the same range. Let's call it maybe a 10 to 20% range up or down of what their price is. What really changes, and this is my second point of things that I've learned this year, is to be more conscious of the market demand or supply of the player and act on that. Because it's very easy, and you hear this on a lot of content shows or a lot of podcasts or even in a lot of articles or videos or whatever you consume, you will hear... This guy went out and had a big game. Sell high. What is sell high? Sell high is we'll get a random first for that receiver. Okay, that's probably the price that he goes for regardless. Really what you're saying with sell high or buy low is actually buy that player at the price they will be available at. And a lot of times when a player has a productive stretch of games, they become available people are willing to sell if they can get the quote-unquote sell-high price, or in this case, just the market price that they've been trying to get, especially if it's a player they've been trying to trade, they have a couple good games. You think the old sell-high would be sell for more than what the price says, when really the reality, and this is what is slowly becoming the dynasty market, is the sell-high price is the fact that you can sell. The buy-low price is that you can actually buy for a fair price. And that used to be true for just the high-end assets. We talked about all the time, hey, if you can get an elite quarterback, the value is that they're available. Because in a lot of leagues, people won't trade them. If you can get an elite player, the value is that they're available. Someone will trade them for what their market price is. But that's becoming more and more tiers of players now where the market price Everyone kind of agrees on it. Now, there's going to be some leagues where the prices are a little different. The demand and the supply is all over the place. And what people pay for certain things based on the scoring, the formats, the settings, the managers can differ. But generally speaking, large scale, the real thing to pay attention to is the supply and the demand. And to really take advantage of that factor when you can liquidate or when you can add players because of the supply and demand. And it's really kind of hard to find out what it is unless you are involved day-to-day on X, on Twitter, following Keep Trade Cut. You're in Discord chats. You're constantly hearing the buzz. And it's not even just one source. It is just everybody. The groundswell, and that is, I think, one of the biggest things that I bring to the table as a content creator is everyone knows I am consuming 100 hours of content a week. So I have a pretty good pulse on what is being talked about out there in Dynasty. What is being talked about from an NFL perspective on social media amongst Dynasty players. And that honestly is what drives the supply and demand of the Dynasty market. And I think becoming a master of that market especially if you're already someone that is a portfolio player, is a player agnostic dynasty player, it's very easy to sit back and go, now what I really have to master is the supply and the demand of the market. When to sell something, when to buy something, because we're trending in a direction where the benefit of a lot of those transactions is just getting the deal done. Shane and I did a mannequin chill this past week talking about the benefit of just getting the deal done. 
So I think that's a very important thing that I've learned this year is the new price, the new sell high, the new buy low, the new market value is not what Keep Trade Cut says it is. It's not what a random dynasty analyst would say, I would pay for this player or I would sell this player for. It is the demand of the assets. Who wants them? And if the demand is higher, that's probably the time to sell for the range that's fair. But the most important thing is getting the deal done. It is not saying, well, I want to sell, but it has to be at this price. Otherwise, I'm going to hold. Or more importantly, what a lot of people do is I'm not buying unless it is 70 cents on the dollar or I'm not selling unless it's 30 cents above the dollar market price. And therefore, they just don't get a deal done. They let that window of supplier demand go by. Another week or two goes by, and then all of a sudden, their opportunities are gone because the daily, weekly, monthly dynasty game, one new set of weekend games, everything you knew last weekend, half of it changes. So I think paying attention to supply and demand trends, and maybe we can use Keep Trade Cut. Maybe it's very important to use Keep Trade Cut and look into the data of not necessarily what a player is going for, what is the trend of the movement going for? What are the trends? The trend is more important than the actual price. The trend of a player going up or going down over a certain period of time, that is what is probably the best measurement out here in our space of the supply and demand curve for dynasty players on a week-to-week basis. So that's an important number two thing that I've learned this year is following supply and demand more and acting on it more aggressively with the goal of just getting the deal done, especially if it's something that helps the direction of my team or accumulates extra assets within my roster. Number three. So this one is huge. This is one that I really have kind of known about for a couple years, but it really hasn't magnified itself until this year with all these other things that I've talked about thus far in the show. One of the biggest edges that I've realized this year, especially now, if you only have a couple leagues, And I'm going to put a caveat out there. If you're only in four or five leagues, this is going to be something that you're less likely to take advantage of because you're not going to be able to exploit it on such a large scale. But if you are in 10 plus leagues, but especially the people that are in 15, 20, 25 plus leagues, once you get to 15, I'm starting to consider that to be like a portfolio. At that point, making your sit start decisions. So this is specific to lineup leagues. And I have a best ball one here coming up shortly but specific to lineup leagues, making your sit-start decisions as easy as possible. Constructing your roster to where you have as much insurance and flexibility as you can in the form of extra draft picks, players on taxi squads, anything that you can say is future capital. You have that in the bank, and in turn, you've allocated your assets in the right spots, even if they're on razor-thin margins. And this is something we get a lot of questions on the second half of a dynasty season, which I'll talk about in just a second. Allocating your resources to make your decisions as easy as possible. And perfect examples. What I've talked about in the past with quarterbacks, having as many options as possible. So you really don't have to ever go and be up against the wall and need a QB. So roster constructing in a way where you really never have to feel the pinch at quarterback in a super flex league, assuming that most quarterbacks in super flex leagues are what you always want to start in the QB slot. But more importantly, allocating your resources at certain spots, maybe it's quarterback, maybe it's wide receiver, maybe it's an elite tight end, maybe it's not an elite tight end, 
but allocating your assets in a way where you can capture as much war as possible. So as much war as possible without having to decide between players that have very similar war outcomes for a given week. Think about the nightmare scenario of it's a start 10 and I have three receivers where I have to pick for one flex spot. And all three of them are guys where I go, man, I'd love to get that guy in the lineup, but I'm going to have to sit these other two. I feel this weekly when I play high stakes. KFFSC, FFPC, $2,000 leagues. And I'm sitting here in start eights. And the way that I draft, the way that I build my teams typically is very much a zero RB, try to get an elite difference maker at tight end and or at quarterback and kind of just backfill running back, probably go hero RB, stack with a bunch of running backs on the bench. But I went through the last couple weeks, especially last week, but then this week even, but last week when there were no teams on by, I'm sitting there deciding between who do I sit, DJ Moore, Michael Pittman, or DK Metcalf. I have to start one of three. Now I'm sitting here and I understand that building a team that way in a start eight is risky. But in a dynasty league where those guys are actual assets, any of those three potentially could have been traded for a first round pick during the right demand window during this season. Yet in a start 10, you'll be sitting there going, okay, I have to pick between the three. How frustrating is it when the one that you start goes for eight points and the two you sit, one goes for 17 and one goes for 23. And you're like, man, I picked wrong. You really didn't pick wrong. You've built a good team. That's a good decision to have to make. It's better than having to go stream a receiver off the waiver wire. But the loss is the fact that you have all three for one spot. Now, people will build teams and go, well, you know, what if there's an injury or all three of them get injured? I want to have at least a backup at every single starting spot. But then you go, man, I'm not capturing a lot of that war. I'm really not. I mean, I'll give an example from Tank Dell today. I looked up Tank Dell's sit-start rate, 49% which isn't bad, but 49%, which means 51% of people had Tank Dell on their bench. You didn't get to use his 29.6 points. Now, if he was your last flex in a start 10 or a start 11, what are you probably going to do next week? Man, I got to start Tank Dell. He's hot. He's hot, man. I got to start him. Look what he did this week. Two awesome touchdowns. Like, man, I got to start Tank Dell. I'm going to sit Gabe Davis. Yeah, he didn't really have a huge game, at least not as good as Tank Dell. So I'm going to start Tank Dell. And then boom, they flip next week. And you're just sitting there frustrated. You're pounding the pavement going, I'm never getting this right. And then you find yourself in a tight end platoon and you're doing the same thing. You find yourself in a QB2, QB3 platoon. You're doing the same thing. You find yourself at a couple running back spots where you're holding these running backs. You're hoping that... Najee Harris and Rashad White can have big games. And one week, they have okay games. You know, they give you 35 points. The next week, they give you eight points. And you're going, man, that sucks because I could have started this guy on my bench, but I would have never started him over Najee Harris or Rashad White. You get it. You get it. I've talked about this at each position, how you have to kind of pick your spots where you're going to make the decisions very clear. Maybe it's you punt running back. Maybe it's you punt tight end. Maybe you go gross QB two, three, four, five, whatever, and you just stream your second QB. There's going to be one or two spots, even in a start 10, where you go, I'm just going to have to make a spray and pray decision. What you don't want to do is get stuck with a roster where you go, man, I have good depth. I'm top three in potential points, 
but I'm at an 85% efficiency. I'm just missing on three or four spots every single week. Because what you're doing is not only missing, not only essentially just leaving those points on the table, but you're probably missing out on liquidity that you could have moved. And people will get scared, especially, and this is what I meant going down the stretch. People will ask questions. Man, my trade deadline is week 12. I'm a prime contender. It's a start 10. How do I start making sure I have plenty of depth at every spot just in case things go wrong week 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, right? But the reality is if you're playing, especially in a portfolio, you want to build your teams. Now, with the trade deadline, it can be a little tricky, but even so, you want to build your teams to where you're kind of like, I'm invested in the outcomes of this efficient roster. And if I have three injuries, I'm not going to be able to fix it. You know, if I have two players that are zero RB and elite tight end, and they both go down, my one hero RB and my elite tight end both get injured in the fantasy playoffs, you're probably not winning. However, you've constructed your team where that's the construction that you're living with. You're at the most efficient point already. Everything else should be allocated in one of two spots. One, future draft capital or liquidity. So in that example, you have Tank Dell, you have Gabe Davis, and you have Chris Godwin. Maybe you have a Michael Pittman in there too. Maybe one or two of those guys you could have traded for a 25 first. Instead of deciding between one of four or two of four that you're going to start every week, maybe you move one. And the idea is if you follow war, if you look at the Trinity tracker, you can probably go, you know what? I should just trade the one that I can get the most for and make my decisions easier. I removed somebody to have to start within that decision every single week. So it's just understanding that efficiency to get your roster to. And sometimes it's not going to work out. But I would implore people, especially a lot of my leagues don't have trade deadlines. A lot of my leagues with trade deadlines are week 15 trade deadlines, meaning once the playoffs start, you can't trade. But I can trade up until Thursday night of week 15 or the team's game in week 15. So even in my quarterfinals in the playoffs, before the Sunday games start, I can trade players that haven't started their game that week. In those leagues, it makes no sense other than to operate on the slimmest efficiency margins up until the deadline. Now, at the deadline, if you want to make a move or two just for some reinforcements, I get it. But that would be the only time where you go, man, I'm worried about my seventh receiver. I'm worried about my fourth quarterback. I'm worried about my backup tight end, especially if it's a league where I can pick up somebody off waivers and they can give me a random nine points. Like in those cases, you want to operate on the slimmest of efficiency margins. And if things go wrong, if you have 50 teams, there's going to be five teams out of those 50 where everything just unravels from the beginning. Quarterback gets hurt. Three other players get hurt. Like the efficiency is going to erode super quick because you're just going to lose options and you haven't built the depth. But it isn't that I'm not building depth. It's I'm putting my depth in spots that are either elite assets which I could tear down from if I had to. But more importantly, I'm putting it in the form of future liquidity. So in the next off season, I can go in and say I need to retool a couple things. During the season, I can go fix some stuff to get myself back to that hyper-efficient margin if I have an injury, if I have a player that gets knocked out for the season. And I think that's something I need to do an even better job of, which makes me want to value the margins, the very slim margins of my lineup league rosters even more so, and value the future liquidity of picks even more, even if it's thirds, 
even if it's fourths. Being able to defer some of those decisions or commitments to players into the future is crucial. So kind of understanding your roster construction. Again, I'll talk about this more on the roster construction review that I do later on this year. Uh, But just understanding where those margins are and go, you know what, I don't really want to go more than maybe 5 to 10% above them. You know, I have a great team. But what I don't need to do is pay for the most expensive insurance at every single slot just because Murphy's Law, everything that could go wrong for my team is going to go wrong. So I need to make sure I have every single spot covered with a quality piece of depth. Meanwhile, if I know in a start 10, I have 18 core players, I probably have four or five too many players that I'm holding way too risky assets in the form of an actual player. You know, a guy like DJ Moore is way more risky than a 2025 first. Even if you'd pay a 2025 first for him, if he's on that spot in your roster, it is way less advantageous to have him than it would be having that future pick. So that's very important, understanding the margins and trying to operate as slim as possible with those margins and still trying to win at the same time. That's the point of being efficient. It's not to not win. It's to do it on the slimmest of margins. That's how you really build up a team in terms of its value and its future success is being able to win on the slimmest of margins and not going all in for a win this year and kind of salvaging some of the future flexibility that you have. So that's number three. Number four, now this leads into a mention for the past episode I did on best ball, things I've learned starting my best ball portfolio. And this is a best ball tip. If you are a best ball dynasty player, the thing that has stood out to me and honestly surprised me the most is just how big of an edge the week-to-week grind is. And it may seem mundane. It may seem ah, it's not that big of a deal if I have a couple players that are injured or I have a couple players that are on by or I have a couple players that really I'm just rostering and I don't really know why. You know, I'm rostering that backup quarterback for eight weeks and you sit there and you go, well, maybe Sam Darnold will start at some point this year. So I'm just going to hold him on my best ball team. And then all of a sudden you look up and you're four or five weeks into the season, bye weeks are starting. And the team has eight players that are literally not even playing that week. Three are injured, two are on bye. One is a backup quarterback that has no chance of playing. A couple others are maybe running backs that aren't getting any weekly touches. And you look at their team and you go, man, if this is a deep best ball roster, I am wasting 30% of my spots. And it really, I think, is just the transition from best ball to lineup or vice versa for a lot of people that are coming from lineup leagues. They don't really value that grind as much, especially if they come from a sector where the secondary market or that third tertiary market, like I talked about earlier in the show, wasn't really active in their prior leagues. You know, they didn't look at that 26th roster spot on a 12-team start 11, 30-man roster league and go, that's actually a player I want to maximize. I want to roster that player with a purpose. For most people, those bottom 10, 15 players in a lineup league, they're, they're useless, They don't even pay attention. You look at 75% of lineup league rosters and they're rostering players with zero path, zero purpose, zero intent. I mean, I can literally go and do an entire show and just break down rosters and go wasteful, 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 inefficient, inefficient, inefficient. In a lineup league, a lot of times you don't pay for it. In a best ball league, you do. And you'll see people make mistakes from their week to week management, but more importantly, What does that feel like? Remember, if you are a best ball player, pause the show. Remember what it feels like when you click on your roster and it's just before the slate of games starts on Sunday and you look at everybody available on your team and you go, yeah, man, everybody I have has a shot to score some points today. Remember what that feeling is like. 
Remember what your roster constructing looked like. Remember what got you there that week. Remember the guys you claimed on waivers. Remember that waiver run where you spent 20% of your fab to bid on Tyson Badgen or Jaron Hall or Brett Rippon. Whether it worked out or not, remember the process that got you there. Remember the players that you ended up getting rid of pretty quickly. Remember that as you get into the offseason and you get into rookie drafts, free agency before the rookie drafts, then you get into training camps and you get into the preseason waiver runs. Remember that feeling before you go make all those other decisions. Remember that feeling before you draft a sixth round running back that looks like they're buried. Remember that before you make those decisions. And I know we are all humans. We are all biased when it comes to a lot of those decisions. We will look at drafting Zach Evans in the fourth round of the rookie draft in a best ball and go, well, if things break right, he could be a guy that's getting touches early on. But then you realize, man, what are the odds that early on he is a guy that I'm not going every week? Man, what do I do with this guy? He is one of my 32 players on my best ball roster, literally hasn't even played took him a month to even get on the field. You know, think about that. Think about those outcomes before you make those decisions. Because what we do is we go, well, I'm confident that I know Zach Evans is going to be like that. He's going to be the next Isaiah Pacheco. He's going to be the next Elijah Mitchell. He's going to have a role right away. He's just too good. And the backfield's so bad, like there's no way he doesn't have a role. We don't factor in those range of outcomes. So when it comes to best ball roster management, always be thinking about every roster spot. And then when you get into the season, be creative. I mean, I'll give Ray a shout out. I'll give a lot of people in the Heisman chat. Shout out to the Heisman group. We play a lot of best ball leagues. There are a lot of people that come up with some creative trade offers. Sometimes I get them. Sometimes I just see them go down in our leagues, but they come up with creative offers. And I go, you know what? Maybe I wouldn't have thought of that. Maybe I wouldn't even have done it, but I can see the process that's spinning through their head. And a lot of times it ends up being some conviction on a player here or a player there, but there's usually a bigger process that leads one move into, okay, this is going to give me the ability to do this down the road. So I see a lot of savvy best ball offers, and it's totally, totally different than a lineup league, 100%. So again, I said this last week, I'll say it again. Anybody that's interested in doing some best ball dynasty leagues, message me directly on Discord, on Twitter. If you're going to message me on Twitter, I don't have time to check my Twitter DMs much anymore. If you're going to message me on Twitter, put something in the initial message that says, like, interested in dispersals or interested in leagues, something like that. And I may see that. But honestly, I just don't have time to get to a lot of the Twitter DMs these days. So just let me know if you're interested in joining a Heisman League. We're going to have a lot of open teams for dispersals, and they're going to be good teams. Because we're going through some shuffling. We're going to clear out some of the leagues and make them available to a lot of our new subscribers from Trades in 5 and the people that have joined the Discord over the last year. So if you're interested, let me know. 80% of them are best ball. So if you're interested in kind of dipping your toes into the best ball game, let me know. But it's been fascinating. And it's not that it's better than lineup. I still like lineup leagues. It's different. It's a different thought process. I go into my small little portfolio, like 20% of my leagues are best ball. And I treat those 20 a little bit different. That 20%, I have a little bit of a different scope every single week. So it makes it fun. I'm looking to move that into more best ball. So I'll be in some of these leagues. Even if I'm not in the league now, there'll be a lot of leagues that I take on in the offseason from a best ball perspective if we need somebody to jump in. So let me know, message me, and just say you're interested. But that's been a huge takeaway 
is just understanding the macro view of a best ball team and how it is even more 24 7 365 the 365 part in best ball i think is even more important especially if it's a league that's active year-round has waivers real year-round that's huge having waivers year-round in best ball leagues is huge you can find absolute gems on waivers and you see that every once in a while if someone drops a player and you go wow that probably shouldn't have been a drop but you can see at the time why it was. But it certainly could have way more payoff given that it's best ball down the road than it might have in a lineup league. So definitely learn that, just how critical the specific management of best ball teams is. And it's something that I really didn't appreciate fully until this year. When I did that episode, I talked about some of the grind tactics that you can find in best ball that have really benefited me, but I still didn't appreciate it fully. I'm in the midst of appreciating it right now because this is really the first full season where I'm all in on committing to that 100% best ball strategy. Number five, last but not least, prioritize your moves, prioritize your league, become an efficient dynasty manager. And I'll say this, as somebody that is in quite a few leagues, you still have to be able to manage your time. One of the reasons why you listen to content like this, or you're part of the Discord, or you use a lot of the tools, you put in the work in the offseason to set up your roster construction, everything that I've talked about prior to this with efficiency, you're already set up for that. So one of the biggest skills that I think has taken me a long way, not just in the content creation space, but as a dynasty player, is to be able to get in, read the room, know what I need to do, and be able to attack it in a limited window of time. Meaning set aside time, a couple times a week, once a week, whatever it is, to go to a league and be able to read exactly where you are. You should already know where your team is and how it's situated and where you fit from a construction standpoint and an efficiency standpoint. But then being able to read where everybody else is. Read the league. Read what's going on during week eight of a random season. And then be able to go, you know what, this is the type of move that I want to make. Take a couple minutes and be the one that's aggressive. Send out trade offers with what you want to do. Put in the time for the waiver claims. But set aside specific periods of time to attack a certain league. And don't overthink it. Some people that only have a couple leagues, they will stare at a league for hours, every day, every night, thinking what can they do in that one individual league. And a lot of times that leads to mistakes. That leads to things that you think in your head that you have to get done, but you really don't. You do things just to do them. As Shane always says, you trade just to trade. You make moves just to make moves. So become efficient. It's not just becoming efficient from a roster construction standpoint or a roster management standpoint. It's being efficient with your time, especially in best ball leagues where you don't have to set a lineup. You don't have to check it Sunday morning to make sure that it's all ready to go. But becoming efficient, it doesn't take more than a couple hours in a given season to run a team. It's just prioritizing 5-10 minutes for each one at different points during the week or even a couple times a month to really go and attack what you need. I think that's a huge skill that's only developed over time when you've managed a decent number of leagues. Even if it's only 10, even if it's only 15, don't go in there and overthink every single one and just study the bottom and the top of every roster. It's not going to really do you any good. Really just being aggressive with a limited amount of time. Good for your sanity, but it'll also make you better, and you'll be able to take on more leagues that way. You won't feel overwhelmed. So just some advice that I've really tried to follow this year. Some leagues I spend more time than others. 
but for the most part, I'm pretty efficient. I'll go to one. This is what I need to do. Boom. 15 minutes, 10 minutes. I'll get out. May not come back to it for a couple days, if not next week. And that is what it is. So do what you can handle, do what you can manage. But I think prioritizing efficiency within your portfolio handling is a huge skill that you really can develop with time. And that comes with a time management skill just in your regular life. But being able to apply it to this is definitely beneficial as a dynasty manager. So those are the five things. Hopefully everybody enjoyed this. This was an off-the-cuff episode, just kind of talking about where I'm at this year, things that I've learned this season, things that have helped me grow, things that I'm going to be trying to work on to be even better at going into 2024. As always, check out Trades in 5 coming up Tuesday night, 8.30 p.m. Eastern. We'll be back at the normal time after our Halloween uh, hiatus last week where we started a little bit late. Destination Chill on Wednesday, 9 p.m. Eastern. May have an announcement coming out soon about Destination Chill, but then if you're not in Destination Chill, check that out. But afterwards, if you are not in the Discord, jump in the Discord where there is a live AMA with Ray, uh, where Ray will be having a guest on and really just kind of continuing the conversation that we've been having all week. So I implore everybody that is not signed up, check out DestinationDevy.com. Try it for a month. As Ray always says, try it for a month. If you don't like it, reach out to me, reach out to him. We'll refund you. If you don't see the value, then that's okay. But check it out. Destination 5 tier on the website. You can try that. Give it a whirl. See if you like the discussions that go on. If you like this show, if you like the other content on DD, you'll love the interaction in the Discord every single day of the week, along with all the bonus content and perks that you get with the website and the Discord itself. So with that... Good luck to everybody that still has matchups up in the air in week nine. And I will go ahead and sign off until next week. Be chill. There's a rumor going down about me and you. Stirring